Anyway, uh, I just want to take a second uh, before we start uh, and just pray um, and thank God for our country. You know, it, it is Memorial Day. Um, this is different than Veterans Day, right? Although we're thankful for our veterans and active duty military. Uh, but this is to remember the, the men and women that have fought and died so that we can do this, right? Be here uh, together uh, and have the freedom to do that. So let's, let's just look to the Lord in prayer um, as we start off. Uh, this part of the service. God, I just thank you so much for this church. And I thank you so much for the freedom that we have in this country to come here and to, uh, to worship, to come together freely and uh, sing to you, to fellowship with other believers, to study your word, uh, the fact that we can have a building and, and our church can own property and, and have a place to call its own uh, where we come together is just amazing. And I just thank you for uh, the, the men and women who, who put their lives on the line every day for us, who take the fight uh, to uh, the enemies of this country overseas so that the, the fight doesn't come here onto our shores. And I thank you for the families that sacrifice as well so that uh, these men and women can, can fight for us. God, I just thank you for the privilege it is to come here. And, and we know that um, historically, any moment, you know, we could, we could lose those freedoms, but we have them now and we are so thankful. And we just thank you for those blessings. And while we're thinking about that, we, we pray for um, believers all over the world, many of whom don't have this opportunity, and they're, they're meeting today on Sunday in places where, where they're hiding because they're, they're afraid for their lives. And I just pray that you would be with those services, with those pastors, with those believers, and that your word would, would go forth even in those countries and uh, lives would be changed and people would come to know you because of the witness of those believers. I just pray for our pastor and his family as they're uh, away on vacation. And I just pray that you would keep them safe and help them to have a great time and a great day today and their last couple of days of vacation and, uh, as they um, come back to us uh, later this week. I just pray that you would give them safety and just uh, have them come back refreshed and ready to jump right into uh, the summer of ministry that we have together as a church. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Well, this morning, I'm, I'm not going to do a Memorial Day sermon, thought about it, um, but I, I actually had uh, an idea as I was um, actually studying for our Wednesday night uh, meeting we had this, this week uh, when we talked about uh, intimacy with God, and, and that's kind of where I want to go today. Um, so if you've got your Bibles, flip open to... Philippians chapter 3, that's where we're going to be. But to kind of set this up, uh, I'm going to make everybody hungry. Can everybody be hungry for a second? Um, how many of you guys like to go to like carnivals or fairs or anything like the state fair? Okay, we got one, Mary, down here. Okay, you guys know, know what I'm talking about. Okay, I, I grew up in Raleigh, uh, so we would go to the state fair there in Raleigh. Um, you know, big, big state fairgrounds, and it's great. You go in and you see all the rides and all of that stuff. Okay, number one favorite thing about the state fair... 
the food, right? So everybody think about how wonderful that food is there, okay? The, the state fair food, the chicken leg that is like, or turkey leg that's like this big and costs about $15, right? You better be eating that whole thing or sharing it with three friends, okay? But love it. Um, my favorite thing, though, is the deep fried candy bars, Okay, Holden and I were talking about that. I talked to my Wednesday night group about that. Deep fried candy bars. You can deep fry anything, and they've got it at the fair. My favorite's the deep fried candy bars. Parents, I'm sorry. I promised my Wednesday night crowd that one time this summer, I will make them deep fried candy bars. So if they come home on a Wednesday night and they're all amped up, I'm sorry. I apologize now. I'm still going to do it because um, I promised. But I love that. Okay, You love the rides and all of that. But then there's also the, the carnival games. Everybody's familiar with the carnival games, right? You know, the basketball, you know, you try and see how many you can get in, or the little water pistol shoot thing, whatever they call it. Um, or the, the turkey shoot, okay? Uh, and they used to do it, you know, you'd get the 22 and you have to shoot the target, and if you win, you know, you get turkey or, you know, a stuffed animal, depending on where you are, whatever they give you. Some people actually give you a turkey because it's called a turkey shoot. But um, that one's always fun because you're like, hey, I'm in the state fairgrounds. I get to shoot a gun. You know, now they've kind of moved to BB guns or whatever. Um, but that's always fun because you sit there, okay, and you, you line up in your target and you get like three shots or whatever you do. So you line up and you're ready to shoot. You're, you're concentrating really, really hard, you know, and I like guns. So, I'm, you know, I'm like, okay, I can do this. You know, I'm really good, right? You overestimate yourself. All the men get up there and they try and shoot. Um, even though women can shoot better than men, we're, we're focused really good, okay? And we, we take our time, you know, deep breath, breathe out, and as you're exhaling, you know, squeeze the trigger, you know, and it goes off, and you look down range, and you totally miss the target, right? You're so upset. So you try again, and you, you focus, okay? I got two more shots, I can do it. You try it real hard, line up the, tar- the sights, and shoot, and you miss again. And you're like, what is wrong? You get so mad, okay? You got one shot left, and then you look at the rifle, and you realize this is a carnival game. So the sights are not lined up, right? Somebody bent the sights, the same thing, insider tip with the basketball one, they bend the rim, okay? So they they rig the game. If you didn't know that, newsflash, okay? It's rigged. So you figure that out, and you figure out the system's rigged, so when you're pointing the gun at the target and your sights are lined up perfectly, you're not actually pointing at the target. And so you're going to miss every time, right? So you figure that out and you realize, okay, there's the target. So now I'll shoot over here and it'll hit the target and you win and you're all happy and you get the giant stuffed animal, okay? Um, this is a lot like what we're going to talk about tonight or today. This is not nighttime. Um, what we're going to talk about today, uh, and it's kind of this paradox of if you're aiming for the target, you're going to miss every time, right? If you're aiming for the target, you're going to miss every time. And that a lot is a lot what Paul is going to talk to us about here in Philippians chapter 3. Um, just a little background. Um, if you're reading through the book of Acts, you see Paul's ministry, you know, there towards the, the last half of that book. And you see, you know, Paul would go into a, count, uh, a city, he'd preach, you know, usually he'd start in the synagogue and then he'd move because the Jews would kick him out. He'd preach, he'd start a church. Then usually there's persecution, he'd get run out and he'd go to the next town. And it kind of started all over again. And then on subsequent journeys, he'd go back through and he'd go back into the town uh, and see how they were doing. Um, And what happens, and you don't see this very specifically in the book of Acts, a lot of times what would happen is there was this group of people that would follow Paul around. They had come from Israel. They were Jewish people. uh, And they'd come into this brand new church you know, maybe it had been all of just a couple weeks old, these, you know, very young believers, and they'd come in and they'd start teaching things. 
that were different from what Paul taught them. Okay, we today call these people Judaizers, right? They'd come in and they'd say, hey, Paul told you that you need to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. That's great, but he, he forgot to tell you something, right? And so then they'd say, well, really, you know, you guys are Gentiles, so you need to be circumcised. You need to start following the Jewish law. You need to have Jesus plus, right, is what they would start teaching. And all of this uh, really came to, to a, a boiling point. If you're reading through the book of Acts, at Acts 15, um, it actually tells us, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Right? So they all get together. Uh, and they have the Council of Jerusalem. So the Council of Jerusalem, if you're reading through, they actually debate this and see, hey, well, do they need to become Jewish or not? And they, they all, you know, settle it, and they say, no, you don't have to become Jewish to be saved. And so they settle that, um, but that didn't stop these people from going around and preaching those things still. So Paul is constantly battling this false doctrine that's going through uh, it, around the, the early church, and that's what we get to here in Philippians chapter 3. So I want to read that. We're going to read a pretty big portion of this just to, to get uh, all of the context of what Paul is saying. So if you've got your Bibles there, Philippians 3, we're going to start in verse 1. Let me make sure I've got this turned on. Did you turn this on or do I need to? I've got it? Okay. Woohoo! Hey. Bright lights. Okay, before we read, get that, make sure that's working. Um, okay, Philippians 3, 1. It says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware the evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I so more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these things I've counted as loss. For Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And see here, as Paul's going through, this is a familiar passage, I think, um, and he starts talking to these people, and, and first he says, you know, I've told you about this before. I've told you about it. Um, but I'm going to tell you again, 
Okay, but he's going to do it a little bit differently this time than, than the way he's taught this before. Uh, the first thing he does is he, he starts uh, name-calling a little bit, right? He calls out the Judaizers and calls them dogs, um, which is a really bad insult uh, for people of that day, right? Dogs were nasty animals. They weren't your little pet that sits on your lap while you're watching Netflix, okay? These dogs were out there wild, uh, eating dead things, and it was just no fun, okay? So you, you didn't go around dogs because they had fleas. Uh, so he called them dogs, and he, he throws a couple other things at them. Called them the false circumcision compared to what he said was the true circumcision. Circumcision of the heart, right, is what uh, it says in other places. Jesus called out the Pharisees, right, in the, the Gospels. And he, he called them uncircumcised at heart. And this is the same thing Paul is saying. Um, but what he does is he, he goes about it a different way. He says, I've told you about this before. I've taught you this before. But this time what he does is he goes through and he gives an illustration, really, from his own life to kind of refute what these people were teaching. So he kind of goes at it at a different angle um, and, and puts himself up, really, um, to then really bring it down to what it's really about, right? Like we were talking about with the, with the gun, you know? People are focusing on the outward, what you're doing. But that's the wrong thing. You're going to miss the target every time if that's what you're, you're aiming at. And so he, he goes through it, and really, this, there's a three-part out, outline, right? Because Paul was a Baptist, so three-part outline. He wasn't really Baptist. It's okay. Uh, some people got that joke. But there's a three-part outline, okay? It's really easy for you guys to remember um, if this works. Uh, the first one is pile, flush, replace, okay? Pile, flush, replace. And you'll see as we go through what, the, what this is talking about. But pile, flush, replace. And so he goes through and he starts, he starts with his pile, right? He, he tells everybody, you know, you look at the outward, right? You, people glory in their flesh, he says. And if these Judaizers want to go toe-to-toe with what it means to be a holy, righteous person outwardly, Paul says, well, I can one-up them, right? He says, if anybody else can glory in their flesh, I can far more. Right? I like to call this Paul's uh, holiness resume. Right? So he starts building his pile. Okay? But let's, let's look through this because some of this you know, doesn't really make sense to us. Um, we kind of read through and, and we understand, okay, yeah, he's, he's throwing this out. But let's, let's go through this point by point. The first thing is that he was circumcised the eighth day. Right? This was exactly what it's commanded in, in the law, in, in the Torah. You're supposed to circumcise a Jewish baby boy on the eighth day. When they were eight days old, you would circumcise them, right? Um, so really, when Paul's throwing that part out there, that's where he starts. Um, but that, it really has nothing to do with him. It all has to do with his parents. So really, he's saying, not only am I a good Jewish person following the law, but I was following the law before I could even follow the law, right? My parents followed it for me. Um, if you want a modern translation, I grew up in a Christian home, right? We grew up in church. I went to church before I was born, right? Every day, my mom was pregnant with me. I was in church, right? So, so we'd, we'd throw that out there in, in modern vernacular. But that's what he's saying. Circumcised the eighth day. I was a good Jew before I could even be a good Jew myself. And then he goes on and he says he's from the nation of Israel. So he kind of takes this another step and says, look, I'm actually Jewish, right? My, my parents were Jewish. I w they didn't, uh, you know, c come in as a Gentile and convert. I'm, I'm Jewish all the way through. My family, the lineage all the way up, 
I'm Jewish. I, I didn't convert. Um, even though Paul was, you know, born in a Gentile land, um, he was still Jewish, and he was raised as a Jew, and he's from the nation of Israel, right? So that kind of gives him, in this, you know, Jewish holiness resume, another, you know, star in there. And then he actually goes down to the tribe of Benjamin, um, which for us, again, this is one of those things. We don't really uh, think that that's a big deal. We're just like, okay, yeah, you're 12 tribes, right? You're from Israel, so Benjamin, that makes sense. Um, but the tribe of Benjamin was one of those that was really, really proud of being, you know, knowing that they were from the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, we know some of the ones where, you know, Judah, right? The tribe of Judah, that's where the Messiah was going to come from. David was from Judah, uh, all of this stuff. Uh, the Levites, you know, the, the priests, we understand that. But Benjamin had a couple of claims to fame. First, the very first king of Israel was from the tribe of Benjamin, Saul, right? Um, the other thing is that Jerusalem was in the land that was given to the tribe of Benjamin, so that made them a, a really big, you know, a, a big plus for them. Uh, another thing that, that was really big was during, at the end of David's reign, right, there was a, a revolt by his son, Absalom, uh, and the tribes kind of split, and they started to split, uh, and Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, stayed loyal to King David. And then later, when Solomon, or after Solomon, um, when the, the country completely split, You've got the ten northern and the two southern tribes. Those two southern, Judah and Benjamin, right? So Benjamin was really, they, they said, you know, we're, we're pure. We stayed with you all the way. You know, we didn't rebel against the king. We didn't rebel against God. They, they were pure. So Paul throws this out there. He's just like, I'm from Benjamin. So I've always been pure. My family's always been loyal. Um, so we know what we're doing from the tribe of Benjamin. And then he jumps into... One, he says he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. And this is something that even scholars kind of debate. What is he actually saying? A Hebrew of Hebrews, right? So these guys are a whole lot smarter than me. Um, but, but reading through what they're saying, you know, there, there's some two, two ideas. The first is kind of like we've already said. He's always been Hebrew. His family is Hebrew. He never, nobody in his family ever converted. They were always Jewish people. The other thing has to do with language, um, and, and in the first century, there was this big uh, struggle to keep Israel and the Jewish nation pure from the, the outward context. Okay, so put your you know, mind back to studying history, right? In world history, we know, you know Israel has been, since Babylon came in and, and took them away um, in the exile, the Babylonian exile, there's always been someone else, another country ruling over the nation of Israel, right? So there's the Babylonians, and then you've got, you know, the Greeks, and then you've got the Romans, and it's kind of this struggle back and forth. And in that time, you know, there's this big Hellenistic or Greek influence. And even then, the, the main language that was spoken there for trade was Aramaic. So there's always this struggle within the Jewish people to keep their own national identity and their language. And so that's something they were very proud of, is if you spoke Hebrew, right? So a lot of them at this time would still speak Hebrew. But then once finally in 70 AD, you know, the, the Romans come in and completely destroy Jerusalem and the temple and all of that, uh, the, the language of Hebrew actually dies out. Um, and it's the only language to have officially died and then be resurrected again. 
um, when Israel became, the modern Israel became a nation. And so when Paul is talking about this, it's very possible what he's talking about is his language. He says, I know Hebrew, right? There's a lot of people living in Israel right now, he says, who, who don't even know Hebrew. They're Aramaic and Greek and, you know, they're they're not really committed to God because he wrote the Bible in Hebrew, you know, the Old Testament, the Torah was written in Hebrew. So I know Hebrew so I can study the Bible my own, by myself in my own language, right? This is kind of like somebody today coming up to you and saying that they know biblical Greek, right? They're fluent in Greek. They've taken it in college and stuff. I have not. I've got a computer program that helps me, right? Um, but somebody like that, the only reason you study biblical Greek is to study the Bible, Right? So somebody here, in Paul's day, they know Hebrew, and it was so that they could study the Bible. That's really why they held on to it so long, was to study the Bible, study the Old Testament. And so when Paul tells these people, look, I know Hebrew, so I don't have to read the Greek translation. I can read the original you know, language that our Old Testament was written in. So Paul is even throwing that out there. He's like, hey, look, you know. It's like saying, I went to Bible college, right, in, in our modern language. So Paul is throwing that out there. The next couple of ones we understand a little bit better. Um, a Pharisee, right? He says he's a Pharisee. We all know the Pharisees. Um, if you read through the Gospels, you see, you know, Jesus is always condemning the Pharisees. In our modern terms, we think of the Pharisees that, the, you know, they're legalistic, right? Uh, they're the ones that, that held true to, you know, the, the very specific teachings that the Pharisees would have outside of the law. Right? So when he says he's a Pharisee, that's like he's the, the you know, most conservative and strict following of the law. And so to a Jewish person back then, that was a big deal. Right? He's a Pharisee. Um, he stayed very true to it. The Sadducees were kind of, they were, they were the liberals, right? Um, but he's, he's focusing in, I'm a Pharisee, is what he said. The next one, he says, as to zeal, persecuting the church. Right? So now he takes it a step further, right? He started off over here and he's, he's saying, look at all of this stuff. You know, I grew up in church or in the temple. Uh, I grew up doing all of this stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm from this family. I speak Hebrew. I study. I'm a Pharisee. And then he takes it a step further and he says, look, it's not just that I've got all of this stuff. I actually act on what I believe, right? I believe this stuff so much that I'm willing to fight for my faith and fight against anybody that I think is a challenge to my faith. That's what he was saying, right? He persecuted the church. He was willing to go out and round up Christians and throw them in jail and have them killed, right? He stood there over, you know, presiding over the, the execution of Stephen. And he did all of that because he thought he was defending the Jewish faith. And so he throws that one out there. You know, he's like, all of these people go around preaching but I actually went out with my sword and some soldiers, and I persecuted the church. So he's getting really serious now. And then he, he throws one last thing up there, and he says he was blameless. Okay, now all these are going to go back through. He said he was blameless. So he, he actually is bold enough to say that if you took a look at his life, according to the Jewish law, he said, I don't know of anything that I have done, right? Anytime I sinned, I made the right sacrifices, I did all of this stuff. So that's pretty bold. I mean, for somebody to say, look, I'm blameless according to this law, right? We all know, you know, we all have a conscience. We all know what it's like when you've, you've sinned and you have that feeling 
that guilty feeling, and you know that. Well, Paul understood, and he's, you know, at this point, he's saved, and so he knows that. But he says, if these people are going to compare my life to what the Jewish law says, they're not going to find anything, right? So he goes through this whole list and builds up his pile, right? He builds up his pile, his resume of all of this stuff that Paul did that he thought was awesome, right? According to the Jewish people, what the Judaizers would think was awesome. He builds up this pile, and then he says in verse 7, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. He said, all these things are loss. These things aren't worth anything. It's just a big pile, right? I had dirty laundry up there on the, on the screen. Um, but really, we know, you know, he says in the next verse, he calls it rubbish or trash. Uh, if you really want to get in there, again, this is me computer program, Greek, you want to get into it, that, a good translation, kind of more modern vernacular uh, would be, this is used toilet paper, okay? Used toilet paper. All that's good for is being flushed down the toilet, right? Um, in Isaiah, Isaiah 64, 6 refers to all of our righteousness being as filthy rags, right? So he takes all of this stuff and he says, that's just used toilet paper, it's a pile of trash. Flush it down the toilet. Take your pile and flush it. That's all it's good for. Um, so think about this for a second. Let's stop and kind of do a, do a little midpoint application, right? Think about your pile, right? What kind of things could be in your pile? What kind of things could be in your spiritual resume? These could be good things, very good things. But if that's what we're banking on to make us consider to be a good person, they're really just a pile. They're a bunch of trash, right? We could go through with our pile and we could say things like, you know, I was born to Christian parents or I grew up in a Christian home, depending on how you say it. Um, grew up in church, going to Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, right? We like to go through that, all those lists. Um, I memorized all the verses, right? We just had our Awana uh, awards last, last week. Um, you know, Word of Life, Awana, they do that. They have you memorize verses, have your quiet time, you know, mark these things off. Very good things that we should be doing. But we can throw that on there. Um, I led a Bible study, right? I lead this Bible study at my house every Tuesday or whatever we throw that in there. Um, went on a missions trip, right? This is a big one. I went overseas. I went to... Germany or Ecuador, or Dominican Republic or, you know, whatever. Great things, things we should do. I think every teenager should go on a mission trip at some point in their life while they're a teenager, right? Went on a mission trip. I went to Bible college, right? I'm a good Christian. I do Christian things, right? We can go through this. All of these things that we can pile up and see what is our list that we like to to hang on to, that, to make us a good Christian. What's our spiritual resume? Again, not a single thing up here is bad. All of these things are awesome. If you've got a list like this, that's great. Praise God, you know? Praise God you were born in a Christian home. Praise God you were, you're born in America and you can come to a church every Sunday, right? But in the grand scheme of things, if this is all you have, it's just a bunch of... Toilet paper, right? Use toilet paper, it's gross, flush it down the toilet, right? 
um, it, it would kind of be like this, okay? Um, I've got two small children, okay? Uh, Hannah is potty trained. Laura is nowhere close yet, okay? She's still five, four months old? I don't know, four months old, okay? Um, it just goes so fast. Okay, it would be like one of my two daughters using the bathroom in their underwear, okay, or their diaper, and walking up to me and handing it to me and saying, look, Daddy, aren't I a good girl? And I would say, gross, go to the bathroom, right? That's just gross. But what do we do so often? We take our stuff. I was born in a Christian home. I go to church. I go to Awana. I got the, you know, Sparky Award or whatever. I still have mine. It's in the attic. But you, I got all of this stuff. And you take it and you come to God and you say, God, I'm a good person. I'm a good Christian. Look at my pile of stuff. And God looks at us and says, gross, right? That's filthy rags. It's used toilet paper. Blush it down the toilet, okay? That's all that's good for. But then Paul goes on, and this is where it gets really good. He says, we need to replace it. We need to replace, we need to take our pile, flush it down the toilet, and replace it with something better. He says that these things are of surpassing value. That's what we need to replace it with, something of surpassing value, and that is knowing Christ. He says that I may know Him. That's verse 10. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Right? That's what he's, he's focusing on, right? That I may know Him. Take all of that stuff that is good stuff, but it's worthless without a relationship with Christ. That's what it's all about, right? That is what it's all about, having a relationship with Christ. We teach our kids in Awana and in Word of Life. You're memorizing these verses. You're having your quiet time not to check a box and to build a resume, but to get to know a person. Jesus, your Savior, that is what it's all about. It's about a relationship. Right? The first time I read this and it really, it just really stuck out to me, you know, and, and I realized, look, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. We hear that all the time. But when it hits you fresh, you just get it. It's that light bulb that goes on. You take that pile, you flush it down the toilet because that doesn't matter. What matters is your relationship with Jesus. It, it kind of reminds me of, uh, I heard a pastor talking about, he, he had a, a, an actor who was a member of his church, famous actor, was on a TV show, uh, and he kind of had this fan club that would follow him around, uh, and one day the, the pastor went to a meeting um, of this fan club, and they were doing trivia and all that stuff, and this actor was going to come out and meet everybody, um, you know, signatures and all that stuff. Um, but the pastor was there standing with his friend, a member of his church, and all of these people are answering trivia that this pastor was like, oh, I didn't know you were born in, you know, wherever he was born. And I didn't know that was your favorite color. And I didn't know all that. And he, it struck him as he was sitting there, all of these people in the crowd, they were fans of this actor. They knew a lot about this person. But they didn't actually know him, right? The pastor's standing there. He's like, this is my friend. He's my friend. I'm coming here, hang out with him. All of these people out there know everything about him, but they don't actually know him, right? It's the same thing. 
It's like when we build up this pile of knowledge about Jesus, knowledge about the Bible, but we forget that it's supposed to be knowledge about a, that leads to a relationship with a person, right? Um, that's what's awesome in, in Greek. You know, it's this idea of the difference between, you know, knowledge in general and the experiential knowledge. David, in Psalm 131, he explains it this way. He says, surely, this is verse 2, Psalm 131, 2. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Here we are, baby illustration again, right? But you think about that. A, a baby, a weaned child, okay? So this is not a nursing baby. This is a child who has experienced how much his mom can provide for him. You know, every three hours, eating. His mom's feeding him. And then eventually, as this baby grows up, the baby realizes, mom takes care of me. And then you get to that point, okay, Laura's not quite there. We're getting there. But, you know, you start feeding them solid food, right? And then they, they, you wean them off. But then that, that baby knows, mom's going to take care of me. Right? And so David has this perfect picture, and he says, when I'm around God, I'm like this little baby huddled up on his mom's chest, knowing that he's safe, and he's comfortable, and mom's going to take care of me. That's what we should be like when we're around God. We can just cuddle up next to God. We call him daddy, right? And we can be close and be safe. And then they become toddlers, and then they, you know, just run around and scream and cry all the time. But even Hannah, okay, the toddler who won't sit still long enough for you to cuddle her like that, when she falls and hurts her knee, okay, this has happened, okay? And I, I'm closer than Jessica. Jessica's over in the kitchen, and I'm right here in the living room, and she, like, runs into the coffee table. She's crying, and I come up to her, and I'm like, oh, Hannah, it's okay. And I go to pick her up. What does she do? She stands up, and she runs past me to get to mom, Right? Because Hannah, even as a three-year-old almost, understands, mom's taking care of me. Okay? She's just now starting to let me pick her up and you know, take care of her. Um, but that's that idea. We can get close to God. We can trust God if we've experienced what that relationship can be like. And that's really what faith is all about. Right? We're trusting God to take care of us. We trust Him. We know we can have that relationship with Him, and we can be safe in His arms. Now, that's what we need to replace it with. And that's where I stopped reading in Philippians 3. But look at verse 12. Because Paul keeps going, and he points out that even the Apostle Paul has not arrived yet. Verse 12 says, Not that I have already attained, or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. His relationship, even Paul, it was something he was still working on, right? He said, God laid hold of me. On the road to Damascus, God miraculously intervened in his life and lay hold of Paul. And now Paul is pressing on to try and have that perfect relationship with God. 
knowing that in heaven one day it will be perfected, right? But this is the relationship we need to have. Keep pressing on, pressing on. Um, and, and he ends with an, another illustration that kind of makes this point even better. Verse 13 says, Brethren, I do not count myself to, as, to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul gives this illustration, right? Um, and and the, the Philippians would understand this, you know, with the, the, in the Greek culture, uh, with the, the Olympic Games, you know, we all understand the Olympics. There's this, this idea of the marathoner, right? And we've heard this all the time, you know, the Christian life's a marathon, not a sprint, right? But when you're in a marathon, even though you're not running super fast, everything you're doing is, is pointed towards trying to get to the finish line trying to get to that finish line. And so he says, I'm pressing on. He's, I'm pressing. That's what he says in verse 12 too. I, um, I press on. Verse 14, I press toward the goal. Um, and this always makes me, these verses make me think, you all know I'm a, a triathlete. So this makes me think of my very first triathlon. Okay, this was four years ago uh, on Oak Island. You can see on that face just the determination, right? Um, and uh, the way, for these, those of you that don't know, the way a triathlon, they do awards. or it's, it's one big race, but there's little mini races within it. You know, you're, you're racing your age group, right? Um, so at that point, I was in the 20 to 24 age group. Um, so I was really only racing against the guys that were 20 to 24 years old. Uh, and the great thing is when you go to these races, they take a, a permanent marker and write on your left calf how old you are, right? And I had looked online and looked at the list, and I knew there were only four people in my age group. I was like, great, so I only have to beat one guy, and I'll be in the top three. I'll get a medal or something. It was awesome. I only had to beat one guy. So I'm looking. Every time somebody would pass me, I'd look at their calf, and I'd be going, and you know, I'd see this you know, lady pass me, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm not racing against her, 24 to 20, 20 to 24-year-old men. That's what I'm focused on, okay? Somebody would pass me, and it's you know, some guy in his 60s riding a bike that costs as much as my car. Um, <laughs> There were a couple guys in their 60s that passed me. Um, this was my very first race. So I'm going and I'm watching everybody that passes me. And I pass some guys and I'm checking. I'm like, there's an 18-year-old. Oh, there's a 70-year-old. Oh, there's a lady. Okay, so I'm good. Um, and I'm on my bike and, and I, get, I hadn't seen anybody that had had my age group. So I thought, okay, I'm in the last place. I just got to pass one guy on the run somewhere. So as I'm running... I come out of the transition area and I start running. I had four miles, okay? So four miles to catch up to, to one guy. And then all of a sudden I see this guy up ahead of me and he starts to walk. And as I get closer, I see he's 21. Yes! So I pass him, right? But I'm starting to get a cramp and so I kind of slow down a little bit and he starts running again and he passes me. And we kind of do that back and forth this whole time. And then we get close to the end of the race and he was in front of me and there was one turn and you could see the finish line. And so I saw him, and he kind of started to slow. So I just start sprinting, right, as fast as I can. That's when this picture is taken, coming around the last turn. And I ran as fast as I could to get across that finish line, right? And I beat him across the line. Yes, okay? Um, that is exactly, though, what Paul says. He says, I'm pressing on. I'm pressing towards the goal, right? I'm putting all of my energy into getting to the finish line. I'm putting all of my energy into my relationship with Christ. 
because that's what it's all about, is our relationship with Christ. Kind of like me putting all of my energy into passing that one guy, okay, to get across the finish line before he did. That is what Paul's saying. And what's awesome is when you compare this to Hebrews 11 and 12, and in Hebrews 12, the first couple of verses, he talks about being surrounded by the great cloud of witnesses and having that upward call of Christ Jesus. And that adds an extra dimension to this, because uh, in, in the Olympics, right, at the marathon, Caesar would sit up there and watch the finish line. And around him, in the nice white togas, right, was all of the previous winners of the marathon, right? If you won the marathon, you were set for life, didn't have to work, you know, they'd, they'd have a big parade for you and you'd be fine, right? And so every year or every time they'd have the Olympics, they, they would sit there with Caesar and they would call it the cloud of witnesses, right? They'd all watch the finish line. And when that runner would cross the finish line, putting all of his effort into getting across that finish line, Caesar would look down at him and he'd get his, his prize would be the little wreath. But the true prize was not that goofy-looking wreath that was on top of his head. But Caesar would look down at him and call him up to be part of that cloud of witnesses. And so Paul takes that and he says, we're putting all of our energy into getting across the finish line so that we can have that upward call. When we're done with our race, whenever Jesus says we're done, whether it's at the end of our life or at the rapture, the prize we get is Jesus calling us up to have that perfect relationship with Him in heaven, with no sin, and seeing Him face to face. So that is what we are pressing towards, is that perfect relationship. So let's bring this down to where we are, okay? Every day, day in, day out. We've all got our pile, right? We've got our pile of things that we like to, to see and do and think make us a good person. But really what it's all about is pressing and putting all of our energy into having a relationship with Jesus. So those things that we do, coming to church, having Bible study, leading a Bible study, the fellowship that we do here, the verses we memorize, the devotions we have, are not about building a pile because of all you're doing, it's just a bunch of used toilet paper that needs to be flushed down the toilet. But if you're doing those things and putting all of your energy into that so you get to know Jesus, that's what it's all about. And then when you get to heaven and you get to have that perfect relationship, it'll be so much sweeter because of the, the energy that you've put into getting to know Him down here on earth. So I, I want to give everybody a little bit of homework. Okay, I know students, most of you are done with the school year, but we're going to do a little homework, okay? This week, I want you guys, in your devotions, whenever you have devotions, whatever you're doing, um, take, take a minute and actually physically write out your spiritual resume, your pile, right? You're going to take your pile, and I want you to actually look at it. Write it out, Okay? doesn't matter how goofy it is or whatever. Keep it to yourself. Put it in your Bible, okay? And every day this week until Wednesday, I want you to read through your, your pile. Read that list, your spiritual resume, okay? All very good things, okay? But things like that. 
okay? And then on Wednesday, what I want you to do, read through it one last time, and then ball it up and throw it in the trash can. Ball it up, actually physically ball it up and throw it in the trash can, okay? You could even, if you want to, write it on toilet paper and flush it down the toilet, okay? I don't care. But this is why I want you to do that. It's because when we actually put it in front of us and we actually think through, what are some of these things? Because we all have them, okay? We all have that tendency. Every once in a while, even, we'll kind of lapse a little bit and, and kind of be like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I had my quiet time every day last week, so I don't need to have it today. I can skip a day. It'll be all right, right? We have that tendency. But when it's there in front of us, actually on paper, physically, we see the silly things that we do sometimes and that we hold on to. And then when we throw it up, ball it up, throw it away, flush it down the toilet, read through this passage one last time, especially these last verses. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ Jesus. All of that stuff is good stuff, but it's worthless if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. If that's not what it's, it's pointing towards, if it's not pushing you towards a better relationship with Jesus, it's worthless. So that's our goal, pressing on to know Him better. Let's pray. God, I just thank You so much for Your Word. And I thank You for the, the examples that are in here, like the Apostle Paul. I just pray that You would help us to see the, the silly things we do sometimes, where we focus on things that, that are good things, but they're not the best thing, and that we change our, our focus, and that we focus on building a relationship with you. God, I just pray that you'd help each and every one of us this week to, to see that again and see that afresh. It's not about a religion or doing things, but it's about getting to know you, our Savior. We pray all this in your name. Amen.